Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, I am bursting with all kinds of great news and good cheer. How about you? Oh, wow, marvelous. Um, I'm happy. It's been raining here for most of the day, and 
single. Ah, wow, wonderful. Okay. I was thinking that we've come into that time period where, as the gardener, you look around and you say, ah, yes, everything is just as I want it. Savor it. Mm-hmm. It's very short-lived. <laughs> we got a couple of weeks in June to think we're in charge. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. I was thinking all of that. Oh, I feel like it's like I've caught up and things look pretty decent right now. That's so funny. I was literally thinking that today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> And we know all the potential for growth and all of those things that we have planted and how riotous it's going to become, and we we revel in it. Yes. So that's that's part of it. And, you know, really take a moment to savor your garden Mm -hmm. over the coming weeks and to really have that... that, uh, that sense of patting yourself on the back. You know, really, most of the kind of hard work is done. Now you just need to keep up with it. Yeah. Mm. Or as somebody mm. said to me today, don't bother being a gardener if you don't like pulling grass. For sure. For sure. Mm. But every, every day, that's my herb garden meditation is to pull grass. It is a great meditation. I I completely agree. It's very meditative. When I started my herb crescent, I brought from my big herb garden some plants that I thought might be able to tolerate the nothing soil and the really intense sun. And mm. And that I had, you know, a fair amount of, and one of those was black cohosh. Now, black cohosh is actually a plant in the forest, and it really does prefer to be kind of shady. But it can tolerate a fair amount of sun. And, well, it is, you know, considered a plant whose root we use, so it does have kind of a bit of a root, but it's a, a, a rhizomatous root, so it kind of spreads out rather than tries to go down. So I figured, hmm. Well, I planted it, and it promptly looked like it just died. It just shriveled up, right? And I, right, because it was so, it was so dry, so dry that year. And then last year, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it not to be seen. This year, finally, it's showing itself. Oh, how cool! Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it really can be a two-year reveal. Oh. Right, so don't give up on those perennial roots. They're just, you know, really getting themselves situated before they make any leaves. I remember um, almost one of my first herbal mentors, a forest ranger, said to me, sometimes the ginseng root will grow underground for seven years before it puts out a single leaf. Oh, wow. And I thought he was pulling my leg. I don't think he was. Mm. 
that's right on the money. He wasn't saying that that's the usual thing. He was just sometimes the thing, if you know, if things are just this way or this is happening. Wow. Oh, wow. We just got the latest shipment of new menopausal years, the wise woman way. And that makes a million copies. Yeah. Wow. And we Mm. are going to celebrate. And Justine says, you have this really beautiful course on green allies for menopause at Wise Women's School. And why don't we offer women a celebration discount up until the end of the year. So basically, you know, from now or from solstice to solstice, whatever sticks in your memory, um, that menopause course will be half off. And we're also going to be um, publishing a menopause, a weekly menopause newsletter during that period too. With, uh, I was uh, teasingly saying a million uh, tips for keeping your cool during menopause. <laughs> oh, so we are celebrating, and also the the new printing. The books are more expensive. I really tossed and turned and twisted around on it because I hate to raise the price on the books. Um, On the other hand, I do want to keep publishing them, and that means I have to be able to pay the printing bills, so the price is higher, and we still have some of the previous printing, and those are all at the Wise Woman Bookshop. Mm. So you will be we will be able to hold the price line on new menopausal years, hopefully for the rest of this year. We'll see. That's what we're hoping in terms of a celebration. And and um, I didn't see if you answered my email this, that I sent this morning. I said, yes, absolutely, I'm willing. Yes. Sign me up. What are those two talking about? We're talking about the Red Clover Conference, May 
Should those with hormone-sensitive cancers avoid red clover because it has estrogenic activity? Can red clover increase the effects of anticoagulants? Should red clover be avoided by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding? Should red clover be avoided by people with bleeding disorders? Should red clover be avoided by women who take hormone replacement? Is it safe to combine red clover with other medications? Can red clover act like estrogen and affect hormone-sensitive cancers of the breast, uterus, ovaries, endometrium, and prostate? Is red clover safe for women with uterine fibroids? Is it true that animals that graze on large amounts of red clover become infertile? Can red clover inhibit aromatase activity and expression? Does red clover stimulate proliferation of ER-positive breast cancer cells? Is red clover neuroprotective? Can red clover alleviate menopausal symptoms? Does red clover reduce total cholesterol in postmenopausal women? Will red clover stop bone mineral density loss and improve bone turnover? Does red clover inhibit the growth of normal prostate cells? Does red clover increase resistance of prostate cancer cells to high-dose radiation? The Mount Sinai website says women with a history of breast cancer should not take red clover. Is this true? Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center says Patients with hormone-sensitive cancer should avoid red clover because it has estrogenic activity. Is this true? Hmm. Are we still connected? Oh, you are. Yeah, I'm just in. That's a lot of fascinating questions. A lot, a lot. Hmm. Hmm. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So let's see if we can talk some sense about phytoestrogens and really uh, get into this. We're probably already guessing that it's very similar to what we found with Comfrey and Hypericum, that science says red clover contains X and X does Y, therefore red clover does Y. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting, you know, that Astrid Grove came to visit, and we went to the International Herb Symposium this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. Danced at the Herbalist Ball, drinking kava kava, and just totally good time, great herb walks, good vibes. Um, The food, for me, was pretty terrible. Because every bit of it was covered in pepper, and I mean every bit of it, the vegetables, the entrees, the, uh, uh, basically I ate salad. Oh, no. One, one day they okay. cooked a piece of fish for me, and one day they cooked a piece of chicken for me. Oh. Wow. And I was very thankful that they were willing while serving 600 people to cook one person something without pepper. Mm. I felt very blessed that I would do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just um, almost too many things even to talk about. And... The first person that I saw at the conference, the first person that came up to me at the conference, 
said, oh, I got interested in herbal medicine. And people said, you should buy this book by this herbalist. And I did. And I thought, oh, I can't ever be an herbalist. It's so complicated. And then somebody else said, you should buy this book by Susan Wee. She said, and I bought your book and I thought, I can be an herbalist. This is easy. Aww. That's so you true. You can imagine how happy that made me, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Aww. Just what I want. Yes. You can do this. This is easy. Yes. I went to a workshop with Matthew Wood, and he was talking about the language of nature and how the language of nature is not um, if if X does Y then Y does Z the syllogism so if pyrolyzodines are poisonous and comfrey contains pyrolyzodines, then comfrey is poisonous. Mm. If hypericum contains substances that act like MAO inhibitors or SSRIs, then it is unsafe to take with those drugs. Mm. So it's you know, he he said, and that's not how nature speaks. Nature does not speak in syllogisms. Mm. In fact, he says, we know the, almost the precise date that we stopped speaking nature's language, and that was 500 BCE, yeah. which, is when Plato, which is when Plato began to teach. Oh, wow. So interesting. Isn't it? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So Socrates, that was like his main teacher, right? And was he still kind of in sync with with nature's language? I don't know. Wow. Yeah. Because I know they had significant differences, and that is so interesting. Wow. Plato. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, you know, I think so. I would guess that what you're saying is right, and it was, and that it was that you can't somehow like come to an agreement on that because it's such a different way of perceiving things. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. So you know, I'm already getting that feeling with red clover, right? That, mm. that just from like spending an hour putting my list of questions together. You know, searching all through the website, looking at different, you know, different hospitals and, you know, places, you know, even alternative cancer places to try to see, you know, how are people presenting red clover? What are they saying about it? Interesting. And so I, went to, I went to a wonderful workshop with uh, Rocio uh, Alarcon, who is a um, curandera and a PhD. And her workshop was on the co-evolution of hummingbirds, people, and plants. Mm. 
and I learned so many fascinating things about hummingbirds and just had a marvelous, marvelous afternoon with her. Hummingbirds are native to basically um, Central and South America. Mm-hmm. I mean, they come and visit us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got out the hummingbird feeder you you gave me and scrubbed oh. it all, scrubbed it up really, really good. And uh, Rosie was talking about that. She says, if you're going to feed the hummingbirds, please be really careful to make sure that there's no mold or bacteria or stuff in what you're feeding them. Mm. So uh-huh. since it has unused for the whole winter and spring, I thought it best to just treat it to some hot water and soap before filling it. Nice. Do you make your own water to go in there? Or what do you, yeah. what do you put in? Yeah. Sugar yeah. and water. I boil the sugar yeah. into the water and let it cool. <laughs> And that also cuts down on bacteria. And, oh, yes, indeed. Okay. I'm sure I'll ask her where she put it. I had it hung up. And then somebody came and took down the storm windows. And I bet you took the hummingbird feeder off the storm windows. (laughs) We'll have to find out where she put it. I think it's warm enough. I'm not sure if I have enough red flowers. But it's definitely warm enough for the ruby, our only, pretty much our only hummingbird, the ruby-throated, to start to come visiting. Oh, I saw our first one on Sunday. It's amazing that you're talking about this right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, how special. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. So that's all the news. Celebrating a million copies of New Men in Puzzle Gear, announcing the Red Clover and her sisters conference because people have said, "Well, I really love white clover. I really love crimson clover. I really love sweet clover." I'm saying, "All right." Her sisters, too. And, you know, as you saw, see, all my questions are about red clover. So, but if if you you really, and people are already saying to me, all right, I already have my short in mind. I'm like, oh, this is great. Okay, we're getting the swing of it now. (laughs) Yay, nice. (laughs) Nice. Uh, So what else is happening at your place? Oh, my goodness. Well, before the rains came, I um, put up some herbal things, some rarities, some yarrow, and, you know, I figured red clover. Like, when there was no rain, she was so present. I, I took some pictures even. Her blossoms, like, I had not seen so large. Um, and they stayed for, like, three, almost four days. And looked like perfect, like fresh, day one fresh. I was, what is going on? Because um, some decided to like start growing right on my walk to the barn, like just when I come out of my side door. I was like, of course, how nice. So 
yeah. Um, and then let's see, I was doing some comfrey with some tallows. I wanted to try that this year. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how they come out. Um, and we have lots of cleavers here, so I was making some things with cleavers. I haven't done that before. So I was really just getting a lot done before the rains came because it started on the Sunday night, and then it started again today. So this is our second day of rain, and it's like, wow, all of a sudden, everything is real wet. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there's yeah. so much to harvest and so much to do, and I'm and I'm saying to myself, the new apprentice is arriving in next, you know, like six days. Don't do it. Just wait. Don't do it. Just wait. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm going to be, you know, saying, all right, today we're doing this, 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 and this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Exciting. Very, Exciting. very exciting. Exciting all around. And also exciting that tonight we get to talk to Wendy Van Allen. She is, um, wow, she is like so well learned. She went to One Spirit Learning Alliance Seminary um, and into counseling program. She has two bachelor's degrees, both from Rutgers and a master's in clinical counseling from St. Bonaventure University. She's a certified intuitive consultant from the Holistic Studies Institute. And she is earth-based, including Wicca, Lukumi, and Spiritism. Wendy was initiated as a Green Witch right here, in 1996, let's see what she's been doing in the, what, almost 30 years since then. We saw what Kaylin did with her initiation as a Green Witch at the, um, in Wisconsin, right, Sarah Ellen? Mm, yes. Oh, yes. She was, she was so marvelous leading the ceremonies. Hooray, hooray for the the women who uh, takes the teachings and uh, spread them, who feel called to do that. Hooray for everybody. But I, of course, feel a special thrill for those who are um, standing up and standing out. Who wouldn't? Mm. Anything else you want to talk about? We've been gabbing for almost half an hour, my goodness. Oh, um, I I'm good. Thanks for asking. I yeah. Then let's let's see if there's any questions to answer. All right, let's see. I am not seeing any hands yet. Oh, we've got one hand. I take that back, and I'll let everyone know if you'd like to raise your hand so that you can speak live with Susan this evening. Please press one, and then we will see your hand go up in the queue. All right, we'll go to our first caller who's dialed in from the 215 area code. From the 215, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Mary. Um, I have a three-year-old Siamese cat, and um, I got her to, to just help be my companion from my best friend, my mom dying. So I consider myself a new pet owner, and 
whenever I need to travel with her, I believe she gets motion and you know, the vet has different drugs that they'd like to give, and I haven't done that, but she throws up. And I just wondered mm. if there was any way to help deal with that. I will tell you the things that are suggested for people. Ginger, first and foremost, even stop space sickness. Exactly how you're going to get a cat to eat ginger, mm, I'm not not clear on that, but, you know, perhaps we could figure something out. Even powdered mm-hmm. ginger would work. And if okay. she's not too fussy and eater and you could hide it in some food, that might possibly work. Um, the other thing that's suggested for people is um, acupressure. Okay. And there are certain points, I think they're on the wrist, but you can look it up, acupressure for motion sickness on the web, and you'll find it, like, instantly. Okay. Okay. And, uh, goodness knows, let's see. Acupressure for... Well, let's see. Let's see where it is, see if we can find it. I can't motion... Sickness. Here we go. Pressure at the P6. It's right where the um, on the wrist. So they're showing that you like put one hand up and use the other hand to measure three fingers. Oh yeah. And the and the point is three fingers up. Right there. That's that's where the point is. And you press in. So yeah, I think we should be able to find that on a cat. A cat is standing on its toes, so it would be even much higher up on its leg. Mm-hmm. And for people, they sell little bands that you can tie on there. And people sometimes just put a rubber band on and snap it when they're feeling motion sick. Mm-hmm. For a cat, though, like when I need to drive, I put her in the carrier. So is that something you do before you get her in the carrier? That's what I would think. Mm-hmm. And which brings me to the cat-specific thing, um, which is to have her carrier open, attractive, and available all the time so that she comes to think of her carrier as a secure place. I do that. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. So it's it's not her emotions. It's just being in the car. Have you tried yeah, putting her in? He, have you tried putting her in different places in the car? No. Um, I feel like she wants to be comforted near me, so I keep her in the front seat. But I can try different places in the car. Yeah, maybe on the floor would move less than on the seat. Oh, okay. I don't know. I think her predominant problem is motion sickness, and I think she gets anxious uh, knowing that she's get that she's getting sick. So yes, yes. The, the licking of she the lips. She doesn't want to throw up in her. Car- she doesn't want to throw up in yeah. her carrier. Yes. Yeah. Understood. 
understood, understood. Mm -hmm. Does she throw up numerous times as you're driving? I think once, um, and I've tried the uh, don't feed her for eight hours. That does tend to work better, but then she'll throw up a bit, you know, like not a lot. A little bit, nonetheless. Yeah, it's way better that way. I'm okay. doing as much as I can, Yeah. but I would like yeah. to help her even more. Even more, absolutely. Does she like catnip? I don't know. Sometimes you know how it is. You get a little stoned and things seem better. Ha, okay. The best catnip, of course, is fresh catnip. Okay. I love the old country rhyme, if you set it, the cats will get it. If you sow it, the cats won't know it. Because if you set it, you'll be bruising the catnip and they'll smell it and come and roll in it mm-hmm. and basically destroy it. But if you plant seeds, I have lots of big catnip and so long as I don't touch it, the cats don't know it's there. Okay. Will Ginger burn her tongue? Well, you know, my preferred method of giving herbs to animals is in milk or yogurt, mm-hmm. depending on which they prefer. And it's always a good idea to taste a little of it yourself, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to force the animal to take it. Mm-hmm. If it's just an offering and they kind of get to choose, then it's not such a big deal. But we're all in situations where we say, you're going to take this and don't argue. So then it's good for for us to know how hot it is, you know, both spicy-wise and temperature-wise. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine you give a tiny little bit of this powder. Tiny bit, exactly. And you can also make a ginger tincture and use just a drop or two in some milk in general. It's not good to give cats tinctures in their mouths. A tiny amount, one or two drops in some milk or yogurt usually works so. Some cats foam at the mouth from alcohol. Okay. So we, but the goats, I just like put the tinctures right in their mouth, squirt, squirt. Mm-hmm. And they lick their lips and go more and more. Huh. Okay. Okay. All right. I th- and I think I think that that you are really creative and caring, and that as this goes along, just the right things, just the things you need to support her and make this easy for her will be revealed to you. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. What's your cat's name? Lucia. So I I named her, um, my mom's motto was always this little light of mine, and so the Latin origin of her name is light. Oh, how beautiful. Thanks for sharing Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Green blessings. Good night. 
you. Good night. All right. And if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. And at this time, we've got two callers that have pressed 1 to raise their hands. And the next is dialed in from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi. This is uh, Jamie. I called um, last week. Uh, my son, was five. he's five months, and he had a fever, and we kind of discussed, like, um, you know, how I took care of it with acetaminophen, like, after I was using the echinacea uh-huh. uh, repeatedly, and it wasn't going down. And, 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 you're, uh-huh. at the, and you're at the um, Zoom meeting, and I think it was Astrid who was saying that there was a pediatrician who says, if you're really right there and taking care, that you could even let the fever get up as high as, what would she say, 107? I think everybody gasped. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, so that was interesting because, I mean, obviously I wouldn't, like, feel comfortable doing that with my baby, but um, it immediately did make me think of the time where my oldest daughter, um, she never had fevers until she was a little older. That Like, I've never actually had a baby have as many um, issues, like, as many, like, viruses and illness as my current baby and that's actually kind of why I'm calling today is um kind of more just about like this year and how we've all just seemed to have caught everything under the sun but uh real quickly to to kind of mention what I was going to say is like I remember when she was maybe six or seven she did run a really high fever like that like I uh she was asleep on the couch And um, I was trying to monitor a fever, but, you know, I couldn't really get the the under-the-tongue reading very well. And anyway, I just remember it got really high, and I was pacing the floor, and and it did eventually go down. But I was thinking, like, if I add one or two degrees to this, like they say to do, like, this fever's got to be, like, 106 or something, and... um, and I just really just monitored her um, and, you know, just trusted my instincts, but it was very, it was stressful. And that's kind of like why I'm calling because, um, so I I have a five, a three, five-year-old, three-year-old, and then a five-month-old. And um, I guess just like, uh the one thing that I've struggled with the most, I think, this season, it really kind of started right with spring, and we just caught one thing and then caught another thing and caught another thing, and it just seems like we can't really catch a break, you know, from it. Like maybe a week or two will go by, and then everybody's got some other little thing floating through, and the baby's getting it, and um, I'm trying to maintain calm but I've my anxiety has been pretty high and uh so just in the way of self-care uh I'm trying to I guess I was calling just to see like what you would recommend I mean 
I know some things that I need to do. Like I was really good at meditating um, real regularly. And then, of course, you know, when you need it the most and everything, like, you know, like I'm, my time is so encroached upon by like just caring for so many people. Uh, it's been really hard for me to find that space, but um, I feel like that would help me. And then I gen- generally take um, motherwort and St. John's wort uh, or St. John's wort every morning. I typically just do like a dropper full of each. And then I might take a little more, motherwort throughout the day if I'm feeling particularly stressed but I mean it's been like to where you know I'm just like afraid a lot while they're sick and I'm feeling kind of I'll just feel sort of panicked sometimes you know about it um a lot of responsibility yeah right yeah I'm just afraid you know I'm so yeah. glad that you have motherwort in your pocket. Mm-hmm. As as it were, this really healthy use of motherwort to uh, keep your nervous system working well, so that your um, fears don't hijack your systems. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I, I mean, mean, it's not like we never want to be afraid. It's, you know, nice that we have that warning system that says to us, oh, 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 you know, watch out, watch out. But when it hijacks our whole life, then it then it actually doesn't help itself or us at all. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing by taking the motherwort is keeping yourself more in the zone of being able to take care. I know that you know, and you somehow have to convince yourself that what you know is true, and that is that if you are helping others, the most important person to look after is yourself. Mm-hmm. And you really um, will benefit from Marking that time on your calendar as though it were a doctor's appointment. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that now. I have an appointment. And that appointment is with yourself, even if it's just for 15 minutes to sit and stare at the sky or paint your toenails or whatever you want to do for you for 15 minutes whatever yeah. amount of time you can get, right? Doesn't have to you don't have to like go away for a year. It was yeah. it was it was really um an intense thing for Astrid because she had had to go with me to this conference because she hasn't been away from her children for that length of time ever. Mhm. Yeah, you say go away for a year, and I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I said you don't have to go away for a year, is what I said. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I, I understood. I just, uh, even just saying that, I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> my heart. Uh, it's very, it's just, 
like having little pieces of your heart. I mean, it's like literally like they're like living on the outside and you're just like, so, uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, having one child, there's an 11 year gap between my first and my second. And the, it's just a world of difference having several versus having one. And, you know, uh, just the the worry is so intense. Um, you know, I just, um, I guess I was wondering, I mean, I have not really been doing what you're saying. I, I started to, though, because I just intuitively, you know, I'm being guided to do that. And, uh, and, um, and spending time, more time, like, out, like just walking barefoot outside, um, yeah. just trying to yeah, just get so freaky. time. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. And again, it's it's it is time that makes your care of others. It's like when the charity says donate and someone will match your donation. When you take care of yourself, someone is matching that donation. You get twice as much energy. Right. You're taking care of others. And it's important to remind ourselves of that. That it's yeah, not like it we're is. not like we're just goofing off. It's like no. Right? We're we're taking that downtime that will really allow more giving. Yeah. And I really want to bless my mother, who was very, very clear with her children that um, her relationship with our or her relationship with us. Or as she put it, when you all are grown and gone, he and I will still be together. So it behooves us to pay attention to our relationship now. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, yeah. that, was, that was really brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard, too, you know, because, I mean, yes, you really have to get organized. (laughs) Like, putting it on the calendar is a great, I mean, technique. I think a lot of people feel like maybe that's not as romantic or something, but um, I do think it's really necessary so that it doesn't just get lost in the fray. Um, The romance is when you're together, putting it on the calendar romantic you know? <laughs> when yeah. you people you put it on your calendar come on uh, so what what of course we really mean by putting it on the calendar is that you treat it with the same respect that you would treat I said a doctor appointment right mm-hmm. that you, you that you would most people very much respect if they have a doctor appointment and don't drop it for somebody else's need. They say, no, I have to do this. I have to go, have to, go to the dentist or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then in terms of, I, I'm just about to make um, my kind of 
annual or semi-annual herb order as well. And so in terms of like herbal allies, um, I mean, I'm also, uh, I guess, um, you know, obviously I have my nourishing herbal infusions and I ran really low and I've just had red clover. It's funny because you were saying you're going to do the red clover thing and I'm drinking red clover right now thinking that's all I've had for a little while now. So, but, yeah, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything else. I mean, like maybe eating oats regularly, I know it's probably good for my nerves and then, um, I do have some lemon balm tincture that I made from some lemon balm that I grew. Um, well, that's wonderful, yeah. So just like maybe taking, uh, I don't really know, uh, how maybe just adding like a dropper full of that to my morning mix or something. Sounds good to me. I do. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay, and then one time I did, um, I read a, let's see, it was a, some sort of interview that was done with you where the woman was talking about Thanksgiving being really stressful for her, and so she was using motherwort kind of like uh, every time she felt really stressed in whatever situation it was. Um, she would, you know, um, take a few drops until, you know, I guess until she felt better or something, kind of like maybe how you would take it for cramps or something like that. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I mean, so I guess would that be appropriate in a situation where you're feeling a lot of anxiety? Absolutely. Um, if I okay. get an apprentice who's a specialist, I will ask her to tincture in her pocket. Some tincture whenever she's feeling anxious. Okay. This um, particular author said that she was just dropping it under her tongue. I've never really done that. I usually put it in water. Do you have an opinion on that? Yes. You need to decide... If you're going to be somebody who's going to be using herbs for your whole life and using herbs uh, probably more than drugs, in which case it pays to respect and take care of your oral mucosa by not exposing it directly to alcohol. If you you think this is just kind of a phase that you're going through and it'll just, you know, after a while, you won't be doing this. If you did things like put, you know, dropper fulls of stuff in your mouth, it wouldn't be that horrible. So for myself, right, for myself, since I know I'm going to be using, and of course, after my surgery, I was using large amounts of tinctures. Um, I was... Glad that I hadn't been putting them in my mouth. Now, that said, I take three drops of Philopendula tincture. It's a very aromatic and very tasty tincture, and it's for pain relief. So I put those three drops in the palm of my hand and then suck it up. 
and I take three or four drops of uh, melalotus tincture, melalotus officinalis, one of Clover's sisters, and I put that in the palm of my hand and suck it up because I want to associate pain relief with the smell and taste of those and because I'm taking tiny amounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I as soon as I asked it and you started describing it, I could see like how it would be potentially damaging to squirt like large dropper folds under your tongue or something for a long period of time. That doesn't seem very exactly. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't seem very nice to do to your mouth. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. Um. Okay. Well. I think that's the most of my questions and just like, you know, breathing is probably really important, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Just I, I know it's usually the simplest solutions are the best well, ones. And breathing is really good, but usually people give you the wrong advice about breath. What do they tell you when you're anxious? Take a deep breath. Right. Don't take a deep breath if you're anxious. Do not take a deep breath. Exhale if you're anxious. Pretend there's a birthday cake in front of you with a lot of candles, so blow them out and then do it again and again if you need to. Oh, okay, okay. And, like, try to do more of, like, the uh, lung expansion sort of technique of really emptying your lungs all the way or just more kind of just blowing out? Yes. Anxiety tends to be breathing in. We give a sigh of relief, a gasp of shock. Mm -hmm. So when we are feeling relaxed and at ease, right, we tend to go, ah. Mm -hmm. Okay. With an exhale. Right. So the longer yeah. the exhale, and there's a ganglion of nerves right at the level of the diaphragm, right? And when we're breathing in, the oh. diaphragm presses on that ganglion of nerves. And if we're already anxious, it can literally make us more anxious. Whereas when we breathe out, the diaphragm is being pulled up away from those nerves and allowing us ease. Mm, okay. So breathing out. At, at the worst, you know, do some meditative breathing, which is half out and half in. But at the best, do some breathing, which is more out than in. And, like, maybe the pranayam is helpful? Yes, alternate, alternate nostril breath with a longer exhale works very well. Okay. Yeah, that's the part of the – I did the whole um, transcendental meditation training a few years back when I was caring for my grandmother, and uh, I got – that is one of the preparatory things that they recommend is, you know, there's like some yogi, some yoga postures and then some pranayams and then you can do your 
um, your meditation, but uh, I, um, yeah, sometimes we'll just do it anyway, you know, because it seems to make me feel better. <laughs> so. Good, good, perfect, yeah. Well, thank you very much for the extra um, additional suggestions. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you asked. I am so glad to um, support you in your endeavor to take the best possible care of your children. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Have a good night. Good night, Jackie. All right. And if you have a question or would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. At this time, we have two callers that have pressed 1. And the next caller that is waiting with their hands raised is from the 973 area code. From the 973, you are live with Susan. Hi. Good evening, Susan. I am having a mystery with my chin. I have to give oh you my. a <laughs> I know, mystery. It sounds like Nancy Drew or something. A mystery of the itching chin. The, oh the boy. Mystery of the itching chin. Oh no, your chin itches. How long has it well, been itching? So this is this is the thing. I have to give you a little bit of background leading oh, leading do. up to this because yeah. it's got an outer and an inner component. So um, I had um, some teeth, some front, uh, front bottom teeth that had to be pulled back in 2015 because I had a condition called internal resorption, which is a, a rare thing that happens that they think it happens because of some trauma. And what I eventually figured out was it must have been related to a bike accident that I had when I was 14 years old. This was many, many decades ago. But I had... I had flew off my bike after hitting a curb and landed right on the chin. There was no problem at the time. I had a little bit of a cut, but it was, I got back on the bike. I rode home. Things were fine. I don't recall having any of the pain. Then in, in uh, around 2010, I started to have this, this issue with the teeth and that's when it was the internal resorption and I had to have some teeth removed. But even before the teeth were removed, I would sometimes get this weird pain in my chin. And I was going to an endodontist for root canals and eventually an oral surgeon, and I had imaging done. You know, everything seemed to be fine, and the the surgery went well. Everything healed great. Um, And then once in a while, I would get that chin discomfort, but I thought maybe it's some phantom pain. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, two weeks ago, I started to get this pressure feeling at the bottom of my chin, and then it was also itching on the outside. So I would get it where sometimes it was just this kind of pressure inside the chin. Sometimes it would just be just the itching and redness, and sometimes it would be both at the same time. I said, this is bizarre. And I was worried about the bone, and, you know, I was definitely concerned about that. So I went to the dentist first, and he took some x-rays and he said, no, no, it looks, it looks good. And he thought I should go to a dermatologist next, obviously with the skin component of it. So I just went to a dermatologist today and she was just like completely baffled. And she said, the only thing I can think of is 
you have shingles. And I'm like, what? I never thought of, of that. I didn't have, it's not pain. It's, there's no blisters. She prescribed uh, uh, the shingles medication. I'm not going to take that. I said, there's, there's got to be something else. And I remembered what you had said and you wrote in your, in your books about um, St. John's wort. So I thought, okay, I've got the tincture. I will try that. But it's the fact that it's this outer and inner at the same time. And could the outer be expressing something in the inner and no one can find what the inner problem is? It is really weird. The skin, of course, represents the boundary between what is inside and what is outside. And when the skin is broken, there is a mingling of inside and outside. And that can be okay or it can be not okay. Some people feel that, shall we say, their skin is too tight. And they're somehow trapped and they need to literally break out. And some people Mm. feel that they are so sensitive that the world rubs them raw. Somatically, we could say, you're taking it on the chin. Hmm. And then we would have to have some sense of what would that mean? What what is it that in your life that's like hitting you in the face, hitting you in the chin, socking you in the jaw? Well, well menopause for starters. <laughs> menopause is the Mike Tyson punch on the chin that's for sure it is it is and I'm having so going going into that I can just briefly tell you I'm 50 I've been having the most regular periods I think I have ever had they're totally regular but I am having, and I, I mean, I live in new menopausal years. It, it has been such a, a great help, but I'm having so many different things. But I still have these regular periods. And then they'll eventually just get more irregular and then eventually stop? Or they'll just stop. Or they'll do, okay. It's really different. For each one of us. And it's not even a family thing. It's not like if your mother or your sister or your aunt had this kind of menopause, you will too. Oh, okay. It's really very... And women who have a lot of children say the same thing about their labors. And that each one of their labors is really different. And you can't go into it saying, oh, I got this down. I know about, you know, labor and giving birth. No, it's not necessarily going to be the same. Mm -hmm. Life loves variety. Mm. (laughs) That's a great quote. (laughs) (laughs) If I may ask your opinion, if um, I, I never had children, and since I'm still menstruating regularly and I'm just 
so, so tired of it. Um, I know you have spoken in favor of birth control pills. Is that something I could start at this age to just kind of ride it out? Because it's just, it feels like menstruation is just getting harder and harder on my body. I suspect that any doctor that you went to that you asked for birth control pills would probably prefer to put you on estrogen replacement or hormone replacement, Mm -hmm. which is often what is done just to smooth out and really kind of eliminate um, any transition, whether it will... um, have the effect on your menstruation that you're thinking it will, I'm not sure. Okay. Because menopause is about having erratic hormones. And so adding more hormones to the mix sometimes helps and sometimes doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right, because I know you had said in your book that oftentimes it's a problem of too much hormone that the liver has to process. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So mm-hmm. going back to the chin, it, it going, could yes, be something that I, I could... What, ha- what have you used at. on it that hasn't worked? Well, I haven't really done much to it I, because I just kind of didn't want to mess with it, but I do have St. John's wort oil. Same, and I, I was going to say St. John's wort oil or calendula oil. Okay, okay, great. Both, I do have that too. Those really good choices. Um, you say it's not blistery, it's, so it's right. not oozy, so you're safe with oily things like that. Um, oh, heat, cold. Do you have a sense that a strong temperature would be effective in changing it? You know, what's interesting is the skin is hot, and I think it wants cold, but inside the chin feels cold and wants warmth. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> ah, the dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, right there it is, right? Wow. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> so... People were talking about using hypericum oil and said that it felt very cooling to them. So that would work. Okay. And maybe taking the tincture, which brings warmth inside, would bring the inner warmth. Right. Oh, amazing. That's great. Okay. Thank you so much. I knew you would be able to make sense of this. I'm not sure we made sense, but at least we made some some plan of action, whether or not it's sense or nonsense. It's a relationship. We can say that, right? It's in relationship. It's in relationship for you to be doing this and, and 
working with this in this way. I think that uh, it will be very interesting, and I hope that you give me a call back and let me know what's been what happens after a bit of time. Would you do that? I will do that. Thank you so much. And I just want to tell you quickly also, I want to thank you for writing about seed peas in your book. I just started using them and found caraway to be a wonderful ally, and I would have never thought that I would have liked that one. But from the first moment I tried it, it's so good and so soothing. And the fenugreek is wonderful and the fennel seed as well. So so thank you. Yeah, the seed teas are what a great simple thing one can do. Absolutely. I travel with fennel seed. It's such a reliable helper. Yeah, it's easy just to pack a little fennel seed, right? Don't need much. That's right. That's right. You can even get hot water almost anywhere. Yeah, that's right. That is an easy thing to do. Oh, great. Thank you again. Have a wonderful evening. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. And I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question this evening and would like to speak live with Susan, please press 1. And that will allow us to see your hand go up in the queue. This time we have one caller with their hand raised, and you dialed in from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. How are you? Hi. Good evening. Yes, what's up with you tonight? Well, I have been, I uh, was, again, on an elder flower mission, and my drive oh. to my destination today was incredibly distracting. And on that note, I saw a sign that said Linden Avenue, and then guess what? <laughs> it was Linden. Well, it's such a dead giveaway. Is it a toast? Yeah, the whole the whole street was filled. There were like a, ten days, like exactly as the solstice. You know, they're definitely within ten days. Oh maybe. wow! Uh, yes, I, I was, we have you, just I, no, we've been noticing the elders starting to come into flower the last couple of days here as well. Well, they're absolutely bumper crop this year and I was thinking um, I made some syrup from it and then looking into cordials I've never made the champagne although I've helped others make it but really what is the difference between a cordial and a syrup is it the amount of sugar is it fermented As usually a cordial is sugar and alcohol and a syrup is water and sugar so you mean by alcohol? Like if I put a tincture of elderberry into this? A cordial, it, yes, is a sugared tincture. So I could make a syrup of the elderflower and then put this great tincture of elderberry into that, and that would be like a, a medicinal syrup. Sure sounds like it. Hmm. You could try it could certainly try it. Making those kinds of potions is endlessly interesting because there are so many different things you can do. Now, when you look up cordial, they don't exactly tell you how it becomes fermented, but what makes the... the, Well, it it doesn't become fermented. You use... 
a tincture, which is alcoholic, right? Yeah, yeah. So you tincture the elderberries. Then after six weeks, you add sugar to that tincture, and that's a cordial. Ah. Now, what's an oxymil exactly? Vinegar and honey. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. I've made wine. I have not made any oxymils and vinegars. And yes, the, the uh, elderflower has been beautiful. What do you do with butterfly weed other than just pick it for your, the love of your lives or something? It's so ostentatious. It's so beautiful. Which butterfly weed? The Asclepius? The, or, the orange, the real bright orange in the mm-hmm. fields. Mm-hmm. It's a milkweed. So it's, mm-hmm. of course, the approach somewhat with caution. As, uh, it does have a habit of containing some poisons, which is why the monarch caterpillars eat it. So the birds then don't eat them, right? Uh-huh. So while I will put a few milkweed flowers in my salad, I don't eat a lot, and especially not of the orange-flowered one, which is thought to be even more poisonous. Orange is definitely an alerting color. (laughs) Watch out for me. (laughs) I listened to this um, woman that would talk about the reasons why different colors are grown together, like the purples and the yellows actually attract certain pollinators. And I can't remember the lady's name. She's up there in New York. I think her last name began with a K, chamomile or something like this. Oh, well, Ira Burgess talks about that as well. And It's a uh, nice topic. Very, very lovely, yes. And, of course, then you you look outside and you say, oh, look, well, that's the color combinations that nature has. Ha, ha. It really is. And she brings up, like, those, they attract certain pollinators because of those two combination colors, purples, yellows, oranges, reds. It's it's, it's just beautiful. It's lovely. I like it. Yeah. Me, too. And that's what uh, Rocio was saying about the... Hummingbirds and the the coevolution mm-hmm. with the colors of the the hummingbirds and the colors of the uh, orchids and just the mm-hmm. right the whole um, way that the orchids change their growth to work with the hummingbirds and to the accommodate the pollinators. Right, have to change their beaks to work with the flowers. With the pollinators. Right, there's like this one. Well, that's why today when somebody's like vegan, this, and they're like, okay. So when you take, you know, we don't want to kill any insects. But I'm like, but you're killing the elder. Why is that less alive? Oh, my goodness. Please help me out here. (laughs) You know, plants are people too, okay? All right, I like it. Plants are people too, and they are. We I, know that. I have a sweatshirt that says that. I'm, for real. I mean, if you listen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plant lives matter. <laughs> right. Plant lives matter. 
Lord. Uh, well, it was a delight. Thank you for your time. Thank you for and calling. Who's your guest tonight? I didn't. I just called in. Uh, it's Wendy. Wendy, Wendy Van Allen, who um, has uh, it, it does work as a Wiccan and has an incredible number of degrees in how to do it. How fascinating. She's very well studied. Awesome. Oh, I look forward to it. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. All of a sudden, I'm looking at three willow trees. Perhaps I should think about talking to them as well. <laughs> I've had a full day of conversation. It's getting pretty I loud think, in the summertime. <laughs> I think so, absolutely. All right, well, have a great evening, Susan. Was, I look forward to listening to your guests. Dream blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and there is about 12 minutes before Wendy is scheduled to join us. So if you have a question this evening and would like to speak with Susan, please press 1 so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Um, I am not seeing any hands just yet. Um, Well, I have a couple of things that I have set aside for no hands time that I would like to get into. Can vitamin and mineral supplements boost your immunity and keep you healthy? This is from Environmental Nutrition, July 2023. Nutrient deficiencies can play a critical role in developing compromised immune systems. Uh, However, deficiencies in the U.S., even among the poorest, are amazingly uncommon. And if you have sufficient levels of vitamins and minerals, taking more will not improve the action of your immune system. So right away, we know that the vast majority of people taking vitamin and mineral supplements to boost immunity aren't doing much good at all. A recent review of 39 well-controlled studies of children, adults, and seniors exposed to stressors such as air travel, intense exercise, academic stress, and exposure to winter weather were given a supplement as a preventative measure. They found little evidence that, that taking anything before getting sick reduces the severity or the duration of any acute infection. So did it help their immune systems? Not that we could tell. Among 30 dietary supplements that were evaluated, these are supplements that were supposed to support or boost the immune system, 17 had inaccurate labels. That's more than half. 13 were misbranded. Uh, that probably means they didn't have what it says they had. And nine contained additional agreements, ingredients that were not identified on the label. So, again, you remember Susan's rule, don't take herbs in capsules. If it's being called an herbal supplement, you're probably going to get the worst of the worst. And over half is totally not going to be right. Some research has suggested that supplementation with vitamin C can help prevent and treat respiratory infections, and studies with zinc supplementation have found that it can reduce how often infections occur and how long they last. 
However, these things are not taken beforehand to boost the immune system. They are taken during the illness to provide those nutrients. Foods are the best way to support a healthy immune system. It has not only vitamins and minerals, but other beneficial substances that work synergistically to help you become and stay healthy. Thank you, environmental nutrition. I very much enjoy my environmental nutrition newsletter. It always has interesting things and things that I want to pursue. In the same issue, do we need to eat cleaner? Clean eating has been a full-fledged trend for about 15 years, emerging from the women's bodybuilding world and then expanding into nutrition and wellness spaces despite any definition of what clean eating is. Hmm. The belief that underlies the idea of clean eating is that it promotes health and prevents disease. But many health professionals are concerned that clean eating is more about moralism and rigidity than good food choices. What bothers me most about clean eating is that it finds healthy food in a way that makes it off limits to everyone but the most privileged, says dietitian Rachel Hartley. She points out that cold-pressed fruit juice for $8 a bottle is good, but regular bottled fruit juice is bad. Mm. Right? So you don't mm. get like the, the, the fresh-pressed goat juice. Oh, that's good. But you go buy grape juice. Somehow that's bad. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Certain foods that originate from other cultures become elevated to superfoods and get a clean eating seal of approval like quinoa, avocados, and chia without any particular reference to what's in the food itself. And this, again, is elitism. All right. In fact, if we think about clean, the opposite is dirty. So to call some foods clean means that other foods are not up to par. They are dirty foods. And many cultural foods from stereotypical Mediterranean foods, for instance, are off the list. We are upholding a superiority of Eurocentric standards. Well, right away, when we hear the word clean, we know that, don't we? We know that it's going to be white and superior. That's what clean is about. Clean eating frequently demonizes perfectly nutritious foods that make healthy eating more accessible to people with less money or less time for cooking. So demonizing frozen and canned fruits and vegetables in saying that only fresh and raw is clean And, of course, you've been hearing me say for decades that frozen and even canned produce is generally picked at a time when it is richer in nutrients than the fresh stuff that you're buying unless you're growing it yourself. Only one in ten American adults eats enough fruits and vegetables, so buy it canned, buy it frozen. 
Buy it however you will eat it and just eat more fruits and vegetables. Please. A 2016 viewpoint in the British Medical Journal said clean eating implies that those who aren't are filthy and are careless with their bodies and their lives. Ew. Bought into the idea of clean eating, then you eat a dirty food, you can feel shame. And perhaps you fear that you've harmed your health. Mm. When it becomes part of someone's identity, then eating a dirty food makes that person dirty or impure. Of course, the clean eating trend is associated with unhealthy preoccupations. Is it any upsides? Uh, no. Actually, the term clean eating and its connotations are completely problematic. How about if we just call some foods nutrient dense? Mm. So that was the current issue of nutrition action. And let's see, um, it comes in the mail, and they're saying you can call 800 829. Five three eight four. You would think I would see some kind of website here. Oh, it's one of those very complicated um, email addresses that I'm not going to read. Um, but environmental nutrition. Um, celebrating forty six years. All right, good work. How about email questions? Do we have any email questions? Um, so do not have email questions. So I'll remind everyone, if you've got a question and don't have the ability to join us um, live for the call, you can submit an email question. Just go to any of the Wise Woman sites and hit the contact button and submit your question that way. Um, I did see that Wendy has joined us. Um, well, why don't we just go right on into being with Wendy then. That certainly suits me. If she's here, then let me get to over here, and here, whoops, we go, Wendy Van Allen is a graduate of One Spirit Learning Alliance's Seminary and Interspiritual Counseling Program. She's received two bachelor's degrees from Rutgers University and is graduating with a master's in clinical counseling from St. Bonaventure University, Oleon, New York, this August. Wednesday is a certified intuitive consultant from the Holistic Studies Institute of New York, New York. She teaches and serves students at two progressive seminary programs. Her spiritual traditions are earth-based and include initiations, and the practice of Wicca, Lukumi, and Spiritism. She was initiated as a Green Witch with me in 1996 and has held a lifelong interest and practice of natural magic, medicine, and spirituality. As a former archaeologist, she has a strong interest in the intersection of 
culture, spirituality, religion, evolving human consciousness, social justice, and environmental concerns. Wendy lives in Kingston, New York, and offers private interspiritual counseling classes and workshops from her home, the Soul Blossom Center. She is the author of Relighting the Cauldron, Embracing Nature Spirituality for the Modern World, published by Lou Wellen this year. Welcome to the show, Wendy, and congratulations on this year. It's a banner year for you. It really is, Susan. Susan, it's such a pleasure to be on your show and to talk to you and connect with you again. As you said, you have been one of my you know, sheroes forever, and, and I'm honored to be one of your green witches. So thank you. It is a thank year. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if you got to hear me uh, carrying on at the beginning of the show about how. I I'm did. A- I enjoyed the show early because I, I really enjoy it. It's it's wonderful show you're having tonight. Thank you. Great. I was talking about how proud I am of anything that, that you all do, but that I am especially proud of those of you who stand up and say, I'm I'm going to speak um, for the spirit. I'm going to speak for the ways of the earth. Mm, so, that's so ins- I mean, that touches me as well. And it is, it does take a lot of courage today. I, I know for me personally, it's taken me many years to find my voice and really put that out there. And I think that you know, the year that COVID descended on the planet was the year that I heard the call and said, I'm going to write this book that's in my mind, that's been in my heart. I'm going to enroll in graduate school because we have a mental health crisis in the world right now. And I'm going to stand up and speak out and be okay with bringing the message of women's spirituality, bringing the message of goddess consciousness and, and nature as a future that we're going to be able to survive. Wow. What do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about how you got there? You want to talk about the book? What do you want to tell us? You know, I was listening to the show, and I was so fascinated with some of the answers that you had and some of the things that you were touching on with some of the women. You know, uh, you had a caller calling in about having anxiety with um, being a mom, you know, being a mom. And and it was just such a, 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 a example of how, if you look at it from the Western mind, oh, that's the diagnosis, anxiety. But if you look at it from the holistic mind, it's like there's all these factors and considerations, and don't it, you don't have to pathologize it. You just need to find your allies, and and I love that. You know that that is definitely what my message in the book is: is like how can we take what what is you know both on an individual level but also on a collective level like how can we see the problem you know name the problems we have name where they came from and then go into the solutions you know and then i presented solutions based on my lifelong research and interest in in earth-based spirituality and literally earth-based being an archaeologist Yes, yes. I, I've been an archaeologist. It was my uh, one of my degrees was in anthropology. When my children were little, I did that. But I made the decision that I did not want to stay doing that career simply because it required me being away from my children when they were little. So I made the the, the decision to to be home with my twins when they were you know about six or seven years old and 
you know, pursued and I did the mom thing for a while. So that's what I was doing. I was raising twins and they're now 25. And this is, speak of the banner year, I'm going to be a grandmother this year, which is amazing to me. It's like, yes, that one came. (laughs) And, and Susan, you'll appreciate that. I feel like I'm coming into the end of my full year without a period. So why your your book about menopausal years has been my friend, you know, and it really is. It is a banner year. It's an interesting year. It's a challenging year. But, you know, I'm kind of like getting through it, you know, and and using those, using things that, that you talk about all the time, you know, and teaching that as well. Good. So the book was stirring in you and COVID kind of forced you to stay at home enough to write it. Exactly. Exactly. It was it was eight months. I was working actually at the Omega Institute. That I was working in HR at that time. I was doing spiritual counseling as part of like a, you know, side hustle, let's say, or just that was something that I also did, had some classes and workshops. But being home, I realized I really like this aspect of working with people because and that was my department that I worked in. I'd like to con- pursue counseling on a full level and do it full time. And really, like I said, you know, um, I, I, I had that, like, I had a news flash of, like, I've been wanting to write this book for a very long time. And it came to me and it kind of crystallized during that time. And I just disciplined myself. And being that I moved up here from the city, I had that kind of real incubator. You know, I I just be home, be in nature. And I find the area very nurturing. I mean, you know, you've lived here for years and years and years. You coming up here is one of the ways that I found how beautiful the Hudson Valley is. So, yeah, that's that was the year that I, I kind of wrote the draft. And, you know, I'm happy to see it come to fruition this year. And, and I'm hoping people, you know, I'm getting a good reception about it. You know, basically the draft, the book is about, you know, um, how we can use nature-based practices uh, to heal ourselves and to also bring healing to the world. And what are the commonalities? Like herbal healing, natural medicine, that is a commonality with nature-based systems around the world. You know, why? Because they're about connecting with nature, not just in a – you know, like like the way you presented it, it's not just in what you can learn from the Western model, but also incorporating that indigenous model, that idea that we have to be friends with the allies. We don't have to go to get the exotic plants. We can see what's growing in our backyard. You know, what's growing even in an urban environment, we can use something like planting. One of the keynote speakers at the International Herbal Symposium said, We feel that we have chosen to bring the wisdom of the plants to the world, but really it's the other way around. The plants have chosen us to bring their wisdom. Amen. That's beautiful. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And there's so many different types of ways we can, you know, and and that's what what Relighting the Cauldron is also about, is like how can we break some of this patriarchal programming that's kind of infiltrated every way of thinking, like can we look at what works? Nature's medicine, um, take, being proactive about how we care for our health, taking power in our own hands, you know, like being having direct contact. And what does that mean? You know, what kind of practices work? Those shamanic practices, those practices that we can like directly engage with divine in. 
that is a commonality in all of the um, traditions that I that I explored. And you know, I've been a like I said, I like you read um, through one spirit and through my many years of different um, you know being in different communities. I've I have connections with people that practice a variety of traditions. And, and in the book, I talk about uh, one of my colleagues that's a Taoist, one who has been she is you know actually initiated in um, uh, Tuvan shamanism. That is her heritage. So I interviewed somebody who is from the Maori people. She is uh, a Maori who you would love this, Susan. She is part of the movement out in New Zealand that has reclaimed the heritage of of the people and has really kind of mainstreamed it. They have a school that the children teach the parents. They have a school that and in the in the school they, you know, have uh uh children about what 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 plants are in the area that they could use to supplement their health. It's just fantastic the work they've done in New Zealand to reclaim their heritage and to reclaim their traditions. You know, I I speak to um, a few people that practice Afro-Caribbean traditions, which is one of my traditions. I'm a child of Obatala and the Lukumi tradition. I speak to um, a priest of um, Dominican voodoo, of uh, spiritism, espiritismo. And um, basically, you know, talk about all the ways that we have these commonalities. You know, and then in neo-paganism, I speak to a per, uh, three people, one that practices um, Stone Circle Wicca, one that practices, um, you probably know Andres in the Earth Spirit community in Western Massachusetts, and um, and also a practitioner of um, heathenism uh, from, based in, in uh, Pennsylvania, in the Pennsylvania Dutch people. So it's it's pretty fascinating. I really enjoyed speaking to all those different people and just kind of finding out, like, why it works for them, what, what, why they think that nature spirituality really is a way that we can, you know, move forward. And that's what the speaker said. The plants have chosen us to speak for them so that we will get the people to remember we have to take care of the garden. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, because we're at a crisis right now. There's there's no there's no more time. And Joanna Macy talks about the human tipping point that we're deciding right now if we're going to go extinct or we'll be able to, to stay here. Exactly. Which is why she's leading workshop on grief because she says it's really necessary to connect with our grief. Right. So, yeah. You may, you may have just told us, but I was, I still am a little unclear about what Lukumi is. Uh, many people call it Santeria. It is the um, African-Caribbean tradition that basically kind of came over with the diaspora is um Orisha tradition so it came from the uh people from western africa who were brought over in the slave trade um it kind of flourished so this, in, this is the tradition with Oshun and Yemaya yeah exactly now i'm and, puerto rican um, on my mother's side 
and I've uh-huh, always had uh-huh. a connection to that tradition. I, I, you know, I had practiced many years in Wicca, and there was a point in my life, and it's per- I'll be perfectly honest, I, I got sober. I had to do some real soul searching in my 30s. And that was something like I said, well, you know, what, what, maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to reconsider. Maybe I need to look at what my higher power is. And at that point, I did some changing. I did some, some reflection. I, do I need to make peace with Jesus? Well, I made peace with Jesus, not so much with some of the way that that religion has manifested in the world. I, I could say that much, let's say. But I began to explore um, that tradition because I felt like, you know, this is something that's always fascinated me and I feel a strong calling. And I, you know, I basically began my, um, really, I just wanted to receive a blessing from one of the priests that I was introduced to in New York. And it turned out that, you know, uh, that person directed me to somebody in New Jersey and lo and behold, it, it was like a whole path opened up to me. And that's been now for the last 15 years or so. Um, and I was fully initiated as a priestess of Obatala, which is um, the Orishas, if you know Susan, like Oshun and Yamaya, they all are represent aspects of the divine, but also aspects of nature. So it's a nature-based tradition. Lovely, lovely. So what are your responsibilities as this priestess? Well, that's a great question. I say my responsibilities are to help people. You know, one of the primary functions of the tradition is to help people align with their true purpose, to find their way. So not everybody needs to be initiated. Not everybody needs to, you know, um, make a full commitment in the in the tradition. But what people do is they come for guidance. You know, so I help give, provide guidance or take them to somebody who could like perhaps read uh, the the um, the uh, the cowrie shells because that's something that I'm not trained with yet. So it's a community tradition. I'm also you know so basically helping people find their kind of right their their ship. You know, most people come to the tradition because there's something that's missing in their life or they're having problems. You know, right course, yes, 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 to write their course exactly, and it, yes. it complements my other practices really well, which is why I'm a one spirit minister. So, like, I believe that you know, at the core of most uh, of the world traditions, there are some truths that you know weave their way and. For me, you know, and one of the lies that we were told was that you, if you are one thing, you can't be another. You know, you have to make a choice. You can't be this. You can't be this. And when I made my initiation, I remember having that question and putting it to the universe. And I got a very strong message, Susan, that said, you know, everything that you are is who you are. And it's made you who you are. And it, you don't have to choose. So that's, so to me, like, you know, my, I, I practice Wicca. I have a, um, a a circle here that we do. Actually, we do it mostly on Zoom now since the pandemic, but we meet monthly and we have a moon circle and we, you know, um, I do some training around that. And, you know, so the earth-based complements, it's basically, uh, you know, complementary with my practices. I can absolutely feel how that is, that there's no warring of pieces there, but that they all fit very beautifully together and support each other. Yes. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And and it's you know, I mean I I know you you know you you 
you would probably agree that when you feel that my goal is to help people find a way to be that nourishes their soul, nourishes their body, nourishes their mind, and really helps them feel connected to others, to the earth, to themselves, to their idea of the divine. And isn't that what so many modern human beings say they don't have? Exactly. I think that one of the big reasons why we have such a um, problem in our culture with disconnection, with alienation, with addictions, people dying every day, is because people just are so disconnected. It's so ironic because in one sense we think we're connected with social media, but it's actually disconnected us more. You know, you could sit in a room with some of the young folks and they're all on their phones instead of talking and looking at each other in the eye. You know, that people, these kids, nobody, they don't even get like um, toys to play with anymore or go outside and play in a puddle or with a stick or build a fort or something. That doesn't happen. Kids get electronics and they're they're chauffeured around in cars. It's just like, what's going on? Like, how come we have lost such disconnect? Something that one of my teachers um, said that I thought was really profound about, uh, you know, why it's so important to uh, have teach our children to go outside and and connect with with the nature around them. How are they going to love and care for the earth if they have no relationship with it? Exactly. Right? Uh, yes. Yes, I completely agree. As a matter of fact, for many years I said that the primary reason not to give your children supplements is because then they learn to protect the bottle instead of the earth. Mm. Very, very true. Yeah. If we go out with our children and say, let's eat some dandelion, it's very good for us, right? It's a very different message than if we go to the store and buy a pill and then give our child a pill and say, this will keep you healthy. Exactly, exactly. And that's so true about so much, even, and, and I had it, one of the interviews I did with Andres and from Earth Spirit, he said the same thing about even the way within the pagan community we can look at the elements. Are we looking at them as just symbols, like, you know, or are we, like, connecting with the element, like water, right. like the water right. out, are we right, actually... the actual element, the wind, actual element, the fire. You're supposed, you're supposed to you're supposed to be drawing it down, not just talking about it. Right. Or putting in a picture on the wall, like that, 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 uh, like you're saying, like the pill becomes the picture instead of like the direct contact. And that direct connection is what we need to get back to. The teenagers around me have their telephones. They are on their telephones. What yes. certainly appears to any adult to be an extreme amount of time, but they also seem to be able to find enough time to break into abandoned buildings and to get into trouble and to mm. paint on places that they shouldn't and to freak their parents out. So it's not all phones. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, it's true, and and I'm glad to hear that. You know, I do see that more actually out here, um, but. You know, they're. I mean, I would wish that they were on their phones more and not causing such havoc. But they're teenagers. <laughs> That's true. That is true. 
<laughs> you said something before on this podcast that I I'd actually like to ask you, Susan. That I I, I want I want to see if if uh, I, I'd love to hear more about your comments about Plato. That you said at that point we disconnected because that, I think there's a that, lot of truth there. That um, Matthew Woods gave a talk at the uh, International Herb Symposium as, mm-hmm. uh, speaking with nature. Mm-hmm. And he started by saying, I'm going to have to read notes because this isn't actually a class that I do. I'm doing this class in honor of a friend who recently died. And this is like really his work about talking to us about how to speak with nature because it's not um, the way of science. Mm-hmm. It's not an yes. if this, then this kind of talk that we have with nature. And that's, I think, uh, because nature doesn't take very well to to boundaries. Very true. Nature really likes to break the rules. People like to say, oh, it's like this, 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 and this, and then nature goes, nah, 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 watch me break that (laughs) rule too. Right, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I oh, agree well, with you. So, so you know, it's that nothing can live in the dark ocean like, okay. floor because they have to have sunlight and oxygen. Wrong. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that's uh, just a very interesting concept, but I, I agree with you. It's like, um, you know, just the idea of how do we relate to nature. Like, like, it's fun to me. Like, if I go out and I have, you know, I'm kind of old school, I'll bring the, the little handbook that you kind of – suggested way back when like the peterson's guide or something like just to say okay let me here's what i see this is the name of the plant this is where it grows you know but i loved i also love to like go out and say when i don't know what they are and just allow myself for the plant to tell me like okay where do i grow you know you i remember you teaching us very clearly like what the plant you said the plant will you know a person is what they eat, but a plant is where they live. There you go. Right. And that's, they can't, it really they works. Can't, they can't get up and move around. Exactly. And and the thing that, that, you know, I always try to stress with people is, and I think this is a this is a principle in my book that I that we can use going forward to kind of make the change is like start Start from where we are, where you live, where you what plants do you have, where are your allies, what is your community like, what resources are there, what what other businesses can I support? There's so much that connection. It's all about connection. I mean that's what Gabor de Monte says is the cure for addiction. It's not abstinence, it's connection. You know, and, and if we can start bringing ourselves back connecting on that level you know in without this like that division whether it's that 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 we always throw up that's very western minded now whether it's the phone or the pill or the you know the picture on the wall instead of actually going to the meadow like can we just get directly back and make those connections and and I and that's really so much of healing is. I mean, one of the things I'm learning in mental health is I'm you know completing my master's is, does the person have resources? Yes or no? Does the person have a community? And without community, 
uh, the risk without resources, without them being able to identify those two things, their risk for suicide, for substance use, for um, all sorts of uh, problems happen. It, it increases so much. We are social beings. Humans need other humans, and we need to feel needed and to feel useful. Exactly. Meaning and purpose. Meaning and purpose. That's absolutely, that is, that is actually spirituality in a nutshell. You know, we, we and it, separate it used, things out. Yeah, it used to be that every person in the family had almost immediately some useful purpose in the family, feeding the chickens, sweeping the floor, mm-hmm. right. doing and that that I think more than phones or anything else is what has eroded people's uh, connection and has unmoored them is that there's, mm-hmm. that there's very little of that in many lives and I hear so many people talking about well, I was finally able to leave my uh, corporate job that had sucked my soul for so many decades. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, how right. awful. How awful to have right. to earn your living doing something that you feel is that intimately bad for you. So true. It's that machine that we get sucked into that. And why, why does it suck it in? Because of our consumer society, which people buy things because it's like that's a quick fix. You know, but I love what you just said about that usefulness within the family. And that's another thing that's changed. You know, there, each person really did have the value, including grandparents, right? Grandparents, yes. you know, grandparents have evolved. We have lived long enough that we get through menopause. We are here because we're here to teach the young. And they're here to love us and to keep us young and to keep us engaged and keep us from getting depressed. There have There's been projects where they will put a young person that isn't even related with an old person in a home that's depressed. And lo and behold, these people help each other. You know, there's a value in every single member of the family. And going back to my book, I speak of the value of the ancestors as well. Because in the old days, people in in different cultures all around the world, it's still true, but even in Europe and in many cultures in Europe and pre-Christian times, the ancestors were the guests, not the ghosts. They were the guests. That that word is connected for a very good reason in Old German. Wow. Because they are, yes, and they would build their homes right over the bodies of their ancestors. They were not afraid of their dead. They honored them. You know, and 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 so so every single person had a value, most especially those who have gone before. And we need to get back to that too, that honoring of the ancestors, those healing the bonds. And we, from what we know about epigenetics now is we know we inherit all sorts of things from our ancestors, both the the things that cause us problems, like some you know predispositions for certain diseases, but also our resiliency. Our, our desires, our, our interests, our personalities. You know, what did, what did our ancestors give to us? When we know who they were and where they come from and their stories and we preserve that, we could really help those kids today that 
are, you know, trying to find their identities. You know, so there's a lot of things we have to go backwards for, but there's a lot of things we have to leave behind. You know, and, and those are some of the things, the things that, that I, I felt were valuable are things that I shared about in my book. So I want to go back to a phrase you just used mm-hmm. that literally makes my blood run cold. And mm. to go back even a step before that, when you and I were talking about we're at a very critical time and we're kind of deciding in a way, are human beings going to continue on the planet or not? And mm-hmm. one of the the things that I see is very different in gardening now than it was when I first started studying gardening over 50 years ago, was that over 50 years ago, the whole intention of gardening was to create something for the generations to come. Mm. And that's hardly ever talked about in gardening now. It's like, you know, um, well, you know, this is a short season crop and you can get a crop. And it's almost like people want to plant an apple tree and harvest apples next week. Right. And so I see us not having a future, and that's what extinction means, is we don't have a future. Right. 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 So in the past, people would have said, in the future, I want to da-da-da-da-da. But people don't say that anymore, and you didn't say that. What did you say instead of in the future? Going forward... Mm. And every time mm-hmm. I hear someone say that, I think, oh, we have no future. How interesting. Very the future has left me, our absolutely language. Right. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And think about like that in terms of the difference from the way the Western mind thinks of it versus the seven generations down the road in yes. the future. Yes. That why aren't we thinking like that? How why doesn't that come unconsciously? How how can we how can we re-engage ourselves with the future? Oh, that's such a beautiful. Because thought. I want us to have a future. Right. Exactly. And here I am, ready to welcome my first grandchild into the world. I'm so excited. He's going to be born yes. in September. Yes. And I want a future <laughs> for them. I want a future for my grandchildren. Now, I have been a little negligent because I've been having such a good time with you, Wendy. Would you tell people how to get (laughs) in touch with you and how to get your book? Yes, thank you so much. So my book is available at, um, right now it's available at the Barnes & Noble in Kingston if you're local. I'm going to have another book signing there on January, um, sorry, February 6th. Uh, It's also available at Amazon. Um, and it's going to be available at the Omega Bookstore. I'm going to be giving a workshop and a book signing there on August 22nd. Um, I, people can find me at www.soulblossomcenter.com, and I do um, have you know space for uh, spiritual counseling clients. Um, and I'm just you know enjoying the book release, and uh, you know thinking about my my next one, and looking forward to completing grad school. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. And uh, one last thank you thing. so much. At, oh, you're so welcome. I'm going to be at the Parliament of World Religions in August as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Mm, very exciting. You know that I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And so mm. let, us, let us envision the part of 
the weaving that we have done tonight, the beauty that we have added to this healing cloak and that you and uh, everyone continues to add with every breath and every thread, with every time you um, do what you're doing, stand up for earth-based ways and uh, define it in a modern way. It's not um, animism. It's recognition mm-hmm. that the earth's alive and so is everything on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, thank you, Susan, and thank you for being a teacher to me and so many and an inspiration for us all. You are welcome. And thank you, Sarah Ellen and Justine and to all of our listeners for helping to return herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, everybody. Sit out in your garden and enjoy. Good night. Good night.